Wait, what is the Disney Channel theme? Bum, 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 bum. Hi, I'm Luke Hofer, and you're listening to D-Combat. Coming up next, a man in his 30s judges movies that were definitely not made for his demographic. Starting at 8, 7 central. Hi everybody, my name's Luke Hofer and welcome to another episode of D-Combat. D-Combat is a no-hold-barred single elimination tournament for every single Disney Channel original movie between the years of 1997 and 2015. Each week I'll be reviewing the two different movies going head-to-head against each other and determining which one is my favorite. I'm here with my wife Jill. Yo! And we'll be discussing the pros and cons of our two movies this week in the fifth match of the first round between Quince and you lucky dog we switched it up this week with the yo instead of the hi i just thought i would share how i was really feeling i was in more of a yo mood um, than a high move a yo a yo mood <laughs> instead of a high mood um since this week is dog themed well one of the movies is dog themed i do think we should have a segment where our dog noodle Shares his thoughts about the movie. Noodle was watching You Lucky Dog pretty intently. He was. He was very oh, yeah. excited oh, whenever the dog right. was on screen. I took a picture for Instagram too. So oh, I'll share great. that on Instagram. Yeah, you can check that out on the Instagram then. Uh, but he did enjoy it every time there was barking. He was full attention. Very on the attentive to the so plot. Maybe we can get some some of his thoughts. Um, yeah, maybe we'll get lucky. Somebody will walk by the window and he'll bark <laughs> in the background. And we can say that's him guest starring. I don't know. It probably did. The mic didn't pick it up. But when you were in the middle of the show ID, he did give a big <sighs> sigh. Ah, yeah. So noodle. All right. We ready to get into it? Let's do it. First up is Quince. Just as Jamie Grover becomes fed up with being the center of her parents' universe, her wish for less attention is granted when her mom gives birth to quintuplets. At first, Jamie is thrilled to escape her parents' constant doting, but she soon feels neglected and unappreciated as the quints take up all of her parents' time. Okay, so wait. (laughs) Is it Jeannie or is it Jamie? Jamie. Jamie. Did you think it was Jeannie? I thought it was Jeannie. I wrote down. Yeah. I I wrote down. I wrote down Jeannie. It sounded like everybody was saying Jeannie. No, Jamie Grover. (sighs) All right. Jamie is played by Kimberly J. Brown, which we will see many more times in Halloween Town. Okay, so she's big. Yes. So I was going to say, we cannot do her Where Are They Now now because I have to save that for Halloween Town because of something I know about her current life oh okay so do we have another character so we'll have to yes i have another character other other characters that we'll be using that for um can i start by saying this is exciting this is a monumental episode for decombat because this is the first episode that i have seen this movie like i have memories i have memories of seeing this movie yes great so what was it like like start us out what was it like watching quince did you watch Quint's premiere or did you just watch it later? No, I, I did not remember watching the premiere. It was a 2000 release. So, I mean, like, it was prime time for me, but I wasn't, like... So you would have been, like, seven-ish mm, at the time? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, prime time, but I wasn't, like, watching premieres for the movies yet. So, but Quint's was a big rerunner for DCOMs okay. when I was I mean, that makes sense. Prime. It's pretty good. Yes. So that one was... And I think it's because Kimberly J. Brown 
remain such a mainstay of like decom culture. That makes sense. That I too. think they replayed the movie pretty often. And also I kind of I feel like this kicks off this like mid modern era of decoms that feel kind of similar. You'll see, I feel like you'll see in the coming weeks. These I, all feel a little bit like more teen talk to the camera, break the fourth wall, decom classic style. Yeah, I did I think this was this week was an interesting case study in how styles were changing. And changing rapidly at the beginning of DCOMs as well, because You Lucky Dog was, <clears throat> said it was from 1998, mm-hmm. and then Quince was from 2000. And just seeing the very different vibes that each of these movies had so was, was really interesting, because Quince definitely felt like more of a DCOM. Like, it had, like, the DCOM vibe to it. You Lucky Dog just felt like... A movie like it didn't feel like there was anything special yeah. about it really it was it was very unremarkable in was, that and other ways well well let's save that for later i don't right. want to get too deep into that um but i do remember watching quince many times over with just reruns it wasn't like a favorite by any means i remember being overwhelmed by the crying a lot there's a lot of crying from the babies by babies um and I remember thinking the babies were cute. I remember thinking the nursery was cool. Like, I remember the, the scene where they, like, over the months were redoing mm-hmm. that attic room and making it into the nursery. Yeah. I thought the nursery was really cool. Um, and I was jealous that Jamie got to just, like, hang out with babies all day. I thought that was cool. Um, but now I will say, as a woman... She actually spends a lot of time avoiding the babies. She does, but then... segments of the movies. Okay, we'll we'll also get to that later yeah. because then then there's like a 180 at some yeah. point um, that isn't really explained. But I will say, as a woman who is now eight months pregnant, yes, <laughs> watching that flash forward sequence of the months of the mother's pregnancy, <laughs> and as she does not get any bigger. She does not get an ounce bigger with Quince until the month that she is giving birth, and then it's very obviously a pillow. It's very obviously a pillow, and also. That's not five babies, baby. Like, that is... I was looking at her and I was like, she is me. And I have one child inside of me. That is not what you would look like with Quince. Also, she would have been on bed rest so much sooner than that. There's just no chance that she would have carried to full term. So that's my disclaimer of now... um, Getting on your pregnant woman high horse. Yeah, this is an interesting uh, comparison for me compared to what young Jill thought of this movie and current Jill, who is now um, (laughs) with child. Okay, so Jill with child... Liked it less than Young Jill did? Yes. Okay. How did Young Jill feel about, feel about the movie? Young Jill liked it because it was cute babies. Oh, okay. Um, and Big Jill yeah. isn't into older Jill. I'll say older Jill. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> older Jill. No, I still, I still like the liked, cute babies? No, I liked the movie. I actually, that is one thing I do want to talk about. I cannot believe they used real newborn infants for that entire movie. Like, those were and like fresh young, Yeah, babies. like young babies those were like support the neck babies yeah and i was like who was letting their quintuplets like do you think they let's talk logistics for a second honestly i don't think they were actually quintuplets like they were probably just oh you would think really you would think oh man i just had to do a lot of digging and i did find that they're not they're only credited on imdb Mm -hmm. and only three of them are credited and they do have the same last name. Okay. So I, my guess is there are at least triplets involved in this. And then this. they just film the babies over and over. Yeah, because they could have just swapped Potentially. Because yeah. I think there are only a couple shots where it's all of them. And it's usually like they're holding, like 
the family's holding them, so yeah. that could have just been a pretty easy swaddle. Because it's always the like bait. insert shots too, so they could have just like swapped the baby costumes. Yes, too. Because yeah, you never really see all of them together. Yes, I, I wasn't really thinking about that while we were watching the movie, but now that you point that out, like yeah, it really only could have been like maybe two or three babies that they just swapped out for each one. Totally, that that been. totally makes sense. Yes, yeah. wild. So anyway, that's my because, little fun like, fact. Yeah, child labor laws like really strict when it comes to baby usage and like newborn that was you know how usually i feel like in movies that have babies they will show (laughs) like a newborn and then you're like that baby is a year and a half yeah exactly they're like in the hospital and they cut to the mom with the baby in the swaddle right after she gave birth and you were like that baby is at least six months old (laughs) that baby is not breastfeeding anymore (laughs) okay what did you think of the movie okay so diving into quince i really liked this movie for the first two acts and then really disliked it in the third act and part of it was just a huge like being disappointed because it had really nailed everything that makes a great movie in the first two acts and then it kind of throws it all out the window in the third act just for like feel good sentiment for the most part but also like wrapping up plot lines that didn't necessarily need to be wrapped up that like we could have I don't know it was I'll, I'll get to that in a second I want to I'd like to go through my notes if I could and start at the beginning of the movie when uh Jamie is introducing herself and <laughs> one of the weirdest parts of the movie for me was and I don't know if this was acting on this girl's part or what But she's introducing the family and she's monologuing about what's going to happen and how she feels about it and everything. And she goes to the fridge and pulls out a drink and she's like, (laughs) you can skip forward now. She's like, do it now. And like starts screaming at the camera. And then Jamie in the present dumps the drink on her. Like doesn't even attempt to drink the like cranberry juice or whatever it is. The fruit punch. Yeah. Like it was supposed to be like a gag, like an accident. But in reality, like she, she literally opened the bottle of cranberry juice and then and like poured it, it yeah. on her face. <laughs> like did not know how to act like she had just like slipped and spilled it on herself. Like, no, just, just dumps it. it on her face. <laughs> And so, uh, honestly, indicative of the, of the whole movie. Like, <laughs> great lead up, and then they just fumble it at the end. Um, but I do like... So what did I like about the first two acts? I do really like the way that they put us inside Jeannie's head. Not Jeannie, Jamie's head. See, this is going to cause me problems <laughs> for the whole episode. I like how we are in Jamie's head where not only do we have the narration, but the world is kind of crafted so that we see it through Jamie's eyes. You know, I was actually super impressed by the set dressers and how they would change things um, over the course of the movie. Because in the first shot, when she's at the fridge, it's only pictures of her, right? Like it's just a ton of pictures of Jamie. And then, Um, like her report cards, her things that she's done and stuff like that. And then as we get further into the movie, we have the same shot of her at the refrigerator, like maybe two or three more times. And each time there's more and more pictures of the quince Mm -hmm. on the fridge. And so not only was that good, but also they did a great job of like painting the world in such a way that like when 
Jamie draws things or illustrates different things, it looks very much like what we're seeing, not only so that we can associate the two things together, which wouldn't be that hard to begin with, but also to put us in Jamie's shoes and understand how she's seeing the world. And there's also like those scenes where we kind of like flow into an event naturally and then it happens in the opposite way that we think it was going to pan out. And then she's like, oh, yeah, that didn't actually happen. Or those the crazy, like, freeze frame scenes that we have, like the one where she's like, oh, school's a circus and everything. So she's, like, describing things the way that a teenager would, but we're actually seeing the, these things through her eyes. I really like that. I thought that was a really great um, way to put us in her mindset. Um, what was his name? Mr. B.? Or whatever the art teacher. Oh, the art teacher. Um, I can't get a good read on him. He started out as a total creep, and then he got better. I think he just pegs me as an adult that's really trying to be hip and cool with the teenagers and can't do it, but they still like him because he's endearing. I just think there were many times that he was making very pointed and strange comments at Jamie that I was like, "This is a red flag in today's society." We are not safe and sacred. We are not following school protocols. I, yeah, I think it I think it was more dialogue choices by the scriptwriters and just a weird delivery by that guy. Yeah. Like I don't know if he knew how to be around teenagers. Like I said, he it just felt like he was trying to do something that he wasn't comfortable with or didn't know how to actually do and that's why it came off weird to me. Um I think the the things that I thought were weirdest were he was like way too close to the personal space of the teenage girls which is what was off-putting to me not necessarily what he said yeah um and so just got creeper vibes and then he had a volkswagen bus too which like he's an art teacher come on okay fine yeah that, but that's that also a creeper van like that's me. a creeper van though <laughs> um it was not a and then it breaks down which is oh well oh what was I have the 360-degree track. Oh, when they're talking to Al at that one point, and he's trying to convince them to do a commercial, and the camera was going around them, like 360 degrees around them while they're having a conversation. Oh. Do you remember this no. shot, or were you on your phone at this point in time? I don't know if I saw It that is shot. the most banal conversation that you could be having, because it's only about them, like getting the quince into a commercial or like talking about what the next step for the career is going to be. And the camera has a dolly movement that's moving 360 degrees around the two characters that are having a conversation at this point in time. Wild. It was a really, really, really strange directing choice and they don't ever use it again. I think the director just was looking at the scenes that they had before and after that or something was like, Oh, there's way too many static shots. We need we need some action to happen, and so he made this weird 360 degree tracking shot, which was kind of strange. Um. Okay, I let's. I have a lot of notes about my big issue with the movie, so I want to talk about that right now. Um, the first two acts were really really great about setting up the plot and theme to be in conjunction with one another. About how Jamie just wants her own identity 
and then kind of gets caught up in the fact that her parents aren't really seeing her or her brothers and sisters as individuals mm-hmm. and they're more as like entities. And it was a really good and engaging story because I think that's something that a lot of teenagers can relate to when they feel like they have all these expectations that are placed on them. And Jeannie does this really good. Like she explains Jamie. herself. Jamie <laughs> does a really great job of explaining herself and telling kind of expressing the conflict that she's in because her parents have these expectations for her and she wants to go to this science magnet school but she's really good at art and it seems like this is something that she really enjoys and she kind of pushes back against that a lot at the beginning of the movie and then after the quints are born and she kind of has the freedom to do whatever she wants she goes and does it thinking that she's going to get in trouble later and kudos to the parents for when they like actually find out that she's been doing this art thing they're like oh great yeah that's wonderful whatever um but i really like the fact that all the plot points were kind of structured towards furthering that theme of identity and individuality but the conclusion the climax of the movie does not support those themes whatsoever tell me why because i don't know if i agree with you i Because we've got the points where um, Jamie's in the Quint's bedroom and she's like sketching the one and the mom comes in and they're like, oh, which one is crying? And then she gives them the information and then she plays this game with the parents of like, can you put the right baby back in the crib? Which is honestly a really cruel thing to do to these parents. To these absolutely exhausted and stressed parents. (laughs) And it's kind of like this, this like mini lesson and... At first, I thought it was kind of weird because I'm like, this is a weird place to have this because this feels like it would be kind of like a climax moment. Like, like the movie should have been building to that where she's like, you're not seeing them as individuals. And then they have this like come to Jesus moment. And then everybody's like great with each other. And so we have these different moments where Jamie is first okay with this newfound freedom and individuality that she has. And then she kind of realizes that it's not it's all cracked up to be and what her parents have been doing to her and are now doing to the quints and so that's why she kind of does this thing where she's like they're all individuals um she even has the line where she says they're five individuals like you're thinking of them as the quints but each one of them has their own name and i even thought they did small things like the nanny that they have come in only refers to the kids by numbers rather than mm-hmm. their names. And so having those kinds of things really reinforce those themes of all the adults in the movie thinking of them as individuals or as a group or not as individuals, but as a group instead. And Jamie is the one that's pointing this out to all the adults because she says it to the nanny. She says it to her parents. Mm-hmm. She says it to Al. So she's talking about this to all the parents, which is really, really great. And, then, where where things kind of started to lose their way for me was when, what's the baby's name? Is it Adam? Adam. Adam ends up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's the big clarifying moment for the parents where they're like, oh, the Quints weren't sick. Adam was sick. And so then that's kind of like, oh, that opens their eyes to what they've been doing and they've really kind of been exploiting their kids and have these different expectations that they're putting on them in order to do these different things. And first of all, I was a little upset because it was very obvious from the way that everything was being themed that the parents were in the wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like the parents made a bad choice. 
I shouldn't say they made a bad choice. They made a mistake or they were in the wrong because they weren't recognizing the individuality of their children. And Jamie's kind of at the forefront of that because they end up like essentially forgetting her to focus all of their energy on the Quints, whether it's taking care of them or furthering their careers or, or whatever. And so Jamie has a great opportunity at this point to say like, all of us are individuals. You need to treat all of us as individual people. And instead, it's just a come to Jesus moment for the family. And the parents don't really learn anything in that moment. They're just kind of like, oh, yeah, now everything's good. And so even though they don't learn anything, I was fine with that. But that should have been the climb. That would have been a good climax to the movie. Like they have the line where they're like, in the moment, it wasn't the quints were sick. Adam was sick. Mm -hmm. And that was the problem. And like, if that's the epiphany for the parents, that's great. And that's a really good culmination to everything that has happened up until act up until this point in act two. But then I, it's, I can't remember at what point it happens, but it's the invitation to the governor's dinner where they're the parents of the year. Yeah. And this is where things were weird for me because one, the way that I remember it is the invitation comes after Adam gets sick. And so I was kind of expecting them to be like, oh, we got this invitation. And then Jamie gets really upset and she goes on this whole big thing. Well, because it's the same night as her article. Yeah, yeah, right. And so here's what I think would have made a good act three is that parents end up at the hospital. They realize their children are individuals. They get the invitation to this um, dinner to be recognized as parents of the year. And then Jamie misinterprets them going in one way. And it either happens one of two ways. It's either Jamie gets pissed off because she assumes they're going to this dinner. And then when she's at the art show, they show up anyway. And they're like, no, like you have these interests as well we have to treat you like an individual as well and then she has this great bonding moment with her parents where she misunderstood them they misunderstood her and they get to like collaborate on that um or they go to the dinner while jamie goes to the art show and at the dinner there's like the governor makes a big speech which also don knotts was great in this movie he was hilarious as the governor wild wonderful just, I thought he was trying to play it serious at first, and then he is not serious <laughs> at all, and is actually, like, really, really great and really, really funny. But Governor could have given this big speech that says, like, espouses what a good parent does, and then the parents at the dinner like, say, realize. realize we are not the parents of the year. Yeah. And then they abdicate and go to the art show anyway. I think either one of those ways would have reinforced the themes a lot better. But what happens is Jamie gets really upset that they're going to this thing and then decides to babysit the Quince so that they can go anyway, totally forfeiting going to the art show herself, which one, I don't understand why she would make that decision after she's pissed off and after they've had this like emotional moment together where the parents realize that their children are individuals. So one, that decision for Jamie doesn't really make sense yeah. at that point in time. And then two, they go to the dinner 
And then the hijinks that ensue are the fact that the parents forgot to bring the quints. Like, the quints were supposed to come with them. Which, again, another great moment for them to realize, like, oh, we've been focusing too much on these kids and we've, like, not been paying attention to Jamie at all. And and instead, they go to the dinner, they get their award after all the kids bring the quince to the dinner, and then everybody, for some reason, everybody, including the governor, decides that they're going to go to the art show, which Jamie wins. And we had not been told that there was a competition at the art show, just that her pictures were being featured at the art show. Which also, do we even know what she showed at the art show? Because she we are never parents, even showed the picture because, because she, she ripped, ripped up, up all everything. Of her art. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, because they actually did have this shot after she ripped up all of her art, where all of the, it was like a bunch of pictures of the babies. It was like yeah. sketches of the babies, sketches of the family, and they're all torn up and on the ground. All right? torn up, but on the ground, you could tell that they like almost collaged all together, mm-hmm. and they were all different colors. And they were, and I was like, oh, that's gonna be the art piece. Like they're like the teacher, Mister B or whatever, is gonna oh, yeah. like collage all of them together, and that's gonna be her submission to the art. That show. expectation was way too high. No, 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 it was way too high, way too high. Yeah. Okay, I get. I guess I get what you're saying a little bit. I think I was. I probably gaslit myself into thinking that the Adam in the hospital plotline was after the art show. Because to me, then that would have been like a good like, oh, there's the conclusion. Oh, yeah. But you're right. I think that did happen. No, because that <laughs> happens like that probably doesn't even happen at the end of Act 2. That happens way earlier. And then everything else happens after Adam being in the hospital. Yeah. If all of that had happened before Adam had ended up in the hospital... I think it would have made a little bit more sense to me because then that's the thing that triggers the per- because what doesn't make sense I explain I way over explained it earlier but essentially what it comes down to is that the parents learn their lesson and then immediately forget that everybody forgets everything they had learned so that we can have like a couple minutes of hijinks and some feel good moments at the end of the movie where Jamie wins an art show where we haven't even been told at any point in time that this was a competition of some sort. Yeah, there weren't the stakes there. Yeah, it was kind they of like, didn't, oh, there's They didn't award? establish stakes. The, the stakes were just, oh, it's really cool to have your art featured at the school's art show. Like, those were the stakes, and that's fine. Because all we were worried about was Jamie being an individual and doing something that she loved, and her parents being able to recognize that. And so all we needed was to have Jamie's art be at the art show and for her parents to come and see it that's all we need for the payoff but instead you're right we never see her art they don't mention they like arrive to the art show late in just enough time to hear that jamie has won the art show for some reason but i don't understand why she wins the art show or why she has to because then that becomes the emotional climax, but that doesn't matter to there weren't the journey. To yeah, yeah, there, there was no stakes, stakes to that, to and that has no bearing on the journey that she's had up until that point. So, in a nutshell, that's everything that I was kind of upset about with Quince, is that the first two acts were really great, really nailed all of that stuff that you need to have for a movie, and then completely throw it out the window in the third act. I can see that. I can I can see that. Um I will point out, though, that I understand that, like, in this movie, we had to kind of vilify the parents. The parents were definitely the, quote-unquote, bad guys in the movie. 
not in like an actual villain way, but it's like you were on Jamie's side the whole movie. That's yeah. what you were meant to be. Let's talk for a minute about how little sleep you would get with five newborns. Yeah. Just legitimately how many amounts. hours do you think you would get a night with five newborns? Probably like two on the high end. Could you imagine functioning on less than two hours of sleep every day? You're really on your parent high I horse am. right now. I am. I'm a little bit. I think that's it's ruining this movie for me. Wow. Because I'm sitting here and I'm going, these parents were not in the right state of mind. We can't we can't vilify them like this. I and I think that's why when I was watching it, I didn't really see the parents as the antagonist. I saw. First of all, it was the nanny was the antagonist because she was the one that was kind of like it was obvious at that point in the movie that the parents were strung out and that they were really struggling with what was going on. And so then Jamie had to kind of fight back against the nanny. And that was a really good altercation because one, the nanny reinforced that idea of not seeing the Quints as individuals because obviously she doesn't remember their names. She just calls them by their numbers. And then... Um, she also just like forces Jamie to do things. And when Jamie wants to go do something that she wants, the nanny like forces these other expectations on yeah. her. Like, these are your brothers and sisters. You have to do this, blah, blah, blah. Well, and she kept calling Jamie number six. Yes. Yeah. Which is funny because shouldn't Jamie be number Should one? Be one. Doesn't yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Um, I, okay. And I Al's thought. Al's the actual villain. Yeah. Al's Al is the, the actual, actual villain. The, the agent of the Yeah. Kids. Because he's the one that is pulling the parents away and distracting them um because yeah the parents aren't really the antagonist they're just being manipulated by al because al is the one that is keeping them focused on the quince as like a brand rather than as individuals and then he's also the one that kind of like pushes jamie off to the side he even has a conversation with her when he first shows up where he's like we can't have you around like you are not good for the brand of the grover quince so Al represents predatory consumerism in today's day and age. As we know, all young parents are targeted with ads. I mean, that was obvious in the movie. <laughs> um, that's my that's my current soapbox. So we won't we won't have to go there. Um, I have so many notes about the ending and the fact that there's like two or three finale moments where the everybody has like this emotional high, and then all of a sudden they're like. We got to leave this dinner and go to the art show. And then Jamie wins the art show. I think that's it's, why I thought that Adam came later. Because in my mind, I think my mind subconsciously put not. that as the, like, oh, not. the movie's wrapped up. That makes sense. Like, and there's that the moral of the been story. The like, <laughs> honestly, if you, listeners, if you decide to watch this movie, <laughs> after the scene where they fire Al in the hospital, turn the movie off. <laughs> that's all you need. You don't need to it's see like, the rest of it. It's like Titanic. Just don't put the second VHS in. You just always end after the first one. Yeah. There you go. Um, I do have a couple of fun facts about people involved in the movie, if you would like those. Okay, great. Before we head to that segment, I just want to give a shout out to the topical reference from Quince. Oh, yes. Where Don Knotts, as the governor, talks about meeting the quote-unquote backstreet guys. Yes. I really enjoyed that. That was great. 2000. Millennium, baby. 2000, yeah. Um, the two, The two big... Players I want to call it here, number one, the um, writer of this movie was also a writer of Alley Cat Strike. Does that surprise you? 
Uh, no, not really, Doesn't honestly. Which one did he write first? Which one comes first in the timeline? Um, I think, let's see. Well, they're both 2000. Man, Greg okay. Pincus was busy. So he might have been busy. But actually, it makes a lot of sense to me because a lot of the problems that I have with Quince's third act, I had with Alley Cat Strike as a whole. Interesting. There's those ideas of plot and theme not really mashing up. Um, and then the other one is that the, oh, no, maybe I only have one. Oh, I thought this director directed something else, too. Um, I mean, I'm not entirely surprised that they would get, like, the same directors to direct multiple Disney Channel original movies. Oh, yeah, no, it makes sense to me. Um, you gotta pay the bills. I mean, how many... Did Kenny Ortega do all the high school musicals? Absolutely. Okay, good for directed him. Directed and choreographed. That's a lot of work. Oh, we'll get there. Trust me. That man must have a super low resting heart rate. He is a legend we will get there should we do something in a long time really? it'll be a while before <laughs> be we get to high school musical our child will be five years old probably <laughs> um do we want to do where are they now yeah what's the where where are they now for quince so quince like i said earlier i kimberly j brown i don't want to do hers yet because halloween that's town fair. that's fair we're gonna save that um so i am going to bring up the where are they now of the the quince the babies. <laughs> yes, please. Um, here's the thing. Couldn't find them anywhere. However, the three, at least triplets, who played them, I do need to tell you that their names, they're the Bell triplets. So last name is Bell. And they're all kind of like celebrity names. So one of them is Alexander Bell. <laughs> so <laughs> where do you think Alexander Bell is now? The one, the, the character, the, the Quint that Alexander Bell played. Where do you think? He Honestly, is? I'm gonna answer all of them at the same time and say that whatever their given occupation was when they were labeling the Quints <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, I'm gonna say that's what they ended up doing, just because of the way that these parents operate. You're not gonna say he was like a telephone technician or something? No, he was Alexander Bell. No, because that's the actor. <laughs> no, not but the it's character. Funny. I'm do I do the characters, you do the actors. <laughs> um. And then the other, the second triplet is named Kirsten Bell. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This That had to be an accident. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Because Kristen Bell was not, was she at large at this point? Veronica Mars. No, would have Veronica been the first Mars thing. was, that was like when I was in high school. Okay, okay. Um, and then Nicole Bell, which that one's not as. Uh, no, the closest know. famous Nicole I know is Kidman. So. Yeah. Um, and then I will also do a Don Knotts, where are they now? He is dead. I, I knew Don Knotts had passed away. He but is, yes. What a legend. Hilarious. Yes. He is really funny in this movie. He, I feel Where like he came What do you think that governor in, is? <laughs> dead, too. <laughs> um, I think, I bet that governor served two terms and then retired and then two terms later ran again. And then yeah. served until he passed away. That feels right. Yes. And like died in the middle of like signing a ridiculous bill or something. That feels uh, right. Yeah, maybe. And I'm sure that in that town or city, his gravesite is visited and constantly has flowers at it. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Um, but it is worth noting that the, the triplets, Alexander, Kirsten, and, and Nicole, Nicole Bell, would be 23 today. So... Wow, okay. I mean, because they were fresh in 2000. They were fresh, yeah. They were fresh in 2000. How about that? That's Quince. That's Quince. So, you lucky dog? 
You lucky dog. We want to talk about that one next? Yes. I mean, that is the other movie that we watched this week. Next up is You Lucky Dog. Jack Morgan, a dog psychiatrist, has been hired to treat Lucky, a depressed pooch whose wealthy owner recently passed away. As Jack gets to know Lucky, he discovers a psychic connection between them. The duo team up to discover what really happened to Lucky's owner before someone tries to turn this dog's day into his last. (laughs) (laughs) That's the summary for the movie? That's the summary on Disney Plus itself. Really? Because yes. the one the summary we saw was like one sentence long. It oh. did not give us all that detail. No, no, no. I always go to the it's the full detailed summary. Oh, the Disney full Plus detailed. Is always okay. What I pull Maybe. Yes. Well, then before the next ones that we watch, I should read that rather yes. than just the one sentence summary on the main page. Yep. Um. Listen, I fell asleep during this movie. <laughs> yeah. This, <laughs> this movie was exceptionally bland. I. It was it was a bit star studded. Yeah, we had Kirk Cameron. Mm-hmm. We had was that the uncle from uh, no Prince Kirk of Cam- Bel Air. <laughs> I think that was the uncle from Prince of Bel Air. Yes, who was the like driver? Wait, that's is that what the show's called? Yeah, Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That's it. Okay. Um, we had someone from I feel like there was someone from Friends too that I recognized. Oh. Oh yeah, it was the it was the one nephew. He he played yes. a role in Friends. Yes. Because remember, I said when he showed up, oh, I like this guy. I think he's pretty funny. Yes. I forget what he played in Friends, but he was in Friends for a time. Yeah. So it, it was a bit star studded. We had quite a few people who have been featured in other things, and this did, in my view, kind of like we said earlier, this felt very different from a decom. Like this, to me, I was actually going like, is this actually a decom or is this just? a movie that aired on Disney Channel at one point. But it yeah, is a decom. It, it very much felt like a really cheap fluff movie that mm-hmm. Disney would have put out into theaters during like yeah. a slow season in like a February or something just to like get some money or something like that. Because there was really nothing super flashy about this movie at all. And it really just did rely on some of those like bigger names to put in good performances. Like the movie was really bland, but honestly, like, Kirk Cameron gave it his all in it. And, like, he... Uncomfortably so. <laughs> at times, yes. Yeah. Like, really weird, but, like, really went for it. And honestly, respect him slightly for that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he did not phone it in at no, all. And no, he was, he like, a full adult at this point. I think he yeah. was, like, 26 or 27 when they Oh, really? That movie. old? Because he looks a lot younger. Yeah, no, he was, like, he was a full adult. Because there's, movie. they try and have that, like, romance going on between him and the lawyer lady, and mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you are 19, she is a full-blown adult with a daughter, like, you, I, it just felt like a weird mashup to me. Yeah, he was definitely, he was definitely an adult. And he is he not ready young. to become a stepdad, that character, no. not at all, and not just because of the dog thing, but just, he is not ready to become a stepdad. No. Um... Yeah, so throughout the movie, the, like, running gag, like, I am I am shocked. I did look over slightly. I kind of looked at your notes while you were writing them. And you did have somewhere on there, will the dog talk, question mark? After, <laughs> I feel like. The shocking answer to that is no. The no. dog did not talk, even after though ready probably should have. <laughs> after ready to run, I was ready for anything, <laughs> and I still did not see what was coming. 
I thought actually I'll say yeah I thought I was ready for everything and I was not ready for what we got because <laughs> the way that they had this set up based on the one sentence summary that I had read and all the exposition that we get at the beginning of the movie I thought all it was going to be was that this guy is going to be able to talk to a dog which yes. I'm totally on board with that <laughs> You tell me that that's the premise of the movie, I can ride with you, all right? And so I thought that was going to come into play. They made him the heir of the, or the uh, steward of the estate when the dog gets the inheritance. And I was like, okay, this is kind of wacky. How is this all going to come together? And then, I want to say out of nowhere, but no, honestly, they did a great job setting it up. Turns out that the dog's brain takes over his brain if the dog gets excited. It was wild. And it was, like we said, Kirk Cameron did not phone in this performance to an uncomfortable degree. Yeah. And honestly, I think it helped everybody act really uncomfortable in the movie as well because he did such a good job at it. I did actually have a couple of thoughts of like, can you imagine how many takes they had to do of some of these things and people just had to like sit there and watch him drool with his face in the dirt and go nuts because there was yeah there was the scene where he's like digging in the yard and he had dirt in his mouth yeah he's like full-on putting his face in the dirt and like getting at it wow he just yeah he went for it and it was he made a choice He's going to be one of the top contenders for the Yeah, choice. just in general. It was a choice. Um, okay, what are some of the pros you had about the movie? Um, I mean, honestly, I do think that the movie is it was more coherent than most of the DCOMs that we've watched so far. Just the fact that, like, what you see is what you get. So there's no, like, underlying themes. Like, with Quince, there's the whole, like through line of individuality and how like Jamie's trying to like get her parents to essentially notice her and see who she is as an individual. There's no deeper meaning to this movie. It's just dude has a psychic link with a dog and he got a whole buttload of money. Um, and then just the, the shenanigans and hijinks that kind of come from that. Um, honestly, like this, but the thing is, is this movie just happened to me. I don't feel like I watched this movie. It just kind of happened on the screen in front of me. This was this was the hardest one to pay attention to because it was so bland and, like, I don't want to say uninteresting, but just, man, if, <laughs> if this movie was a person, it has the charisma of Ben Stein. it is just so bland like i had i had to force myself to write notes because there was nothing to write notes about in this movie uh until the very end um there was there was the part where the old guy they mentioned that he's dead and then they have the flashback so when um what's the dog's name lucky obviously lucky is like telling Kirk Cameron's character about the murder and the guy just like keels over like he's just standing there and then like falls on the ground and Lucky's like I killed him and Kirk has to be like 
no, you didn't kill him. And then we find out later that he's poisoned, which then ruins that goofy part of the movie. So I'm like, now I can't even enjoy that. <laughs> like, you, because it was just, yeah, they point out everything. Um, oh, yeah, and I was actually surprised that, like, at the beginning, they have the, like, throwaway line when they're chasing after them in the car where the, mm-hmm. the, nieces, the niece and nephews are chasing after them at the, after the car. And then the one says something along the lines of, like, I did it before and I got away with it. And we're like, wait, are they insinuating that they killed the uncle? Yes. And based on my experience with every other decom, I was thinking they were just going to leave it at that. And then... Yeah, it turns out that they did kill the uncle and they come back to it. So that, like, that didn't even become a goofy thing for me. So all these things, I thought that they were kind of, like, that had been happy accidents that they ended up alluding to all these weird things. They just ended up, like, rightfully so, pointing to what actually happens in the movie. So, like, to its credit, You Lucky Dog is much more tightly written than probably any other DCOM that we've had up till this point. But But then it doesn't have any personality, because of that. Yes. Which tears me up inside because I love when a movie is tightly written, but because this one was so tightly written, it has no entertainment value. There was no meat on the bone. There was no meat on the bone, and that is just... I Honestly, I think that's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> because most of the other movies... Like, I would say all the other movies that we've watched have been more entertaining than this one, partly because they are not good. And I think I didn't really enjoy this one as much because it was well made. Yes. Yeah. And so this might be my epiphany moment for DCOMs because, yeah, Lucky Dog was just bland. Um, Okay. But there are... I did write down, what is the moral of the movie? There is none. There is none. There is none. It's Um, just a movie. It's a movie that happens. Um, I do have a new segment that I think I need to propose for this movie. (laughs) I wrote down, what a stupid ending. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I don't even remember the ending at this point in time, and we watched this movie two days ago. Um, I do need to propose a new segment for this one. Okay. It's called... Fill in the blanks where Jill fell, fell asleep. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so fill in the blanks. We can where do Jill that, and then, because um, then I can find out if I have. Um, I have three things. Two of them could have happened while you fell asleep. Okay. Okay. Here one of them I know didn't, but the other one could. Let have. me tell you the last thing I remembered before I dozed off. Mm-hmm. And then the first thing I remember when I woke up. Okay. Okay. The last thing I remember when I dozed off. Was, I feel like, this is the thing. It's like, it's almost like you said, it was just like, not exposition, but just like, it was kind of the same thing over and over again. Where it's like, uh, Kirk Cameron acting like a, like dog getting excited. uh, Kirk Cameron taking on personality of the dog. Dog calming down. Kirk Cameron going, you gotta calm down, man. You gotta stop getting excited. Them acting normal for a scene, dog getting getting excited, Kirk Cameron getting dogified. Yeah, and it happens so, ad nauseum because it's yes. like they introduce something, then the stuff with the dog happens, and it resolves itself, 
and then they just move on to the next like set piece where a new thing happens where they're now in a new scenario yes. and then the dog thing happens so yeah you okay. are right so i think the last thing that i remember before i dozed was um them showing lucky around the house after they changed the house all around lucky oh, yeah. like they, they bought like... with all of lucky's inheritance they mm-hmm. bought like grass carpets and treat dispensers and a couch shaped like a bone and like all and these things. And there's just raw meat and everywhere. there's raw meat everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then I just took a little nap. Then I just dozed. I then woke up to them in a courtroom. <laughs> Lucky so. was in the courtroom. So you missed a lot. <laughs> and the nephew had a gun. <laughs> you missed so much. <laughs> in the blanks for me. <laughs> I woke up to a gunshot. And spent, That's what woke you up. I thought, I thought you woke up earlier than what that. What movie? <laughs> did, I, did we move on to the next one? Like okay, I was so like, you what missed, happened? You missed one and a half of the things that I want to say. First of all, before we get started, because this is just a comment, not necessarily an observation around the movie, but that evil lawyer... I loved his voice. He could play Hades in Hades Town. Oh yeah, yeah. I it was really good. Um, a terrible character, but man, I loved his voice. I loved the way he talked. I would love to see him on. No, I wouldn't love to see him on stage in Hades Town. He could play Hades if he wanted to, just with the voice. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Okay, so um, Lucky goes out and buys all the stuff. Oh, by the way. They, it's not the humans bought the stuff. It's Lucky buys the stuff. Because it's his the $64 million dollar inheritance. Yeah. Have we have we said the price? Have we said that yet? $64 million. It is $64 million that this dog inherited. And that's in 1998, which is... I don't know how much money that is today. Let's look it up. $64 um, million. But they go out. Dollars. Lucky buys all of this stuff. They renovate the whole mansion. And... So then they play for a little bit and they go to sleep. It's that night where the three, uh, I don't want to call them villains, but like the the niece and the two nephews, that's the night they decide to break in to try and kill Lucky because, (laughs) yeah. What? Did did you not catch that? The first, they had. Oh, oh, the dark guns. It's coming back to me. Okay, I must have woken up with the dark guns. Because the dark guns is the next thing for me. Yes. But. (laughs) I was in and out. Okay, now that we're talking about this, I'm like, this movie is really stupid and ridiculous. <laughs> um, but they, their first plan is to catch, what's Kirk Cameron's character? Is it Jake? No, or it's, um, it's it some is random white boy name. Jack. Jack. Uh, I think, sorry, Jack. <laughs> I think every time, yeah, sorry, sorry. We definitely have a friend named Jack listening. I think every time you say the wrong name of a character, because you do that all the time in these episodes, we just need a little sound that plays. I'm not going to call it out anymore. We're just going to edit in a little. <laughs> oh, so now I have to listen to the whole podcast yeah. for when I call a character a wrong name. We'll start that in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they their first plan is to catch jack doing something that will incriminate him and show that show that he is not of sound mind to like steward this inheritance yes and they hit gold because they are literally chasing after him in a van while he's acting like he's acting like lucky in the back where they're both barking out the window of the limo yes as they're driving to the mall 
And so they're, <laughs> they're like causing other cars to crash <laughs> on the road while the one guy's filming with the video camera. And they go through this whole scene where they're chasing them. And it's probably a two or three minute scene. Oh, easily. And I kind of expected there to be like the action scene kind of thing where there's like, oh, one person gets the upper hand and then the other doesn't. And then like, like I expected the driver to figure out that they were like tailing him at some point in time. No, never. It's just two minutes of them like filming this guy and obviously getting the evidence they need to get the inheritance back. And I was like, this is going to be the shortest movie ever. And then at the end of the whole sequence, the one guy opens up the camera. He's like, ah, forgot to put a videotape in. End scene. <laughs> and then they decide that's the reason that they're like, okay, this didn't work. We need to kill yeah. the dog. <laughs> Logical next step, kill, kill the, the dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> and they even say it in the van at that point in time. And so when you fell asleep, it's when they're sneaking into the house. And the plan is to kill the dog, but they have a dart gun, which, fine, it's Disney. Like, they're not going to bring in a shotgun and just shoot the dog. Um, okay, but then they literally had a gun in... We'll get to that okay. later. We'll get to <laughs> Okay, this movie is ridiculous. Um, so they sneak into the house, and they're kind of, like, sneaking around, do it, like, trying to be um, stealthy. And there's this weird little moment. I don't know if you were asleep, if you'll remember this or not. But there's a weird little moment where all of them are in, like, the foyer. 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 Whatever. Yeah. Right by the front door. Depends on if you want to be an asshole or not. Foyer. <laughs> um, so they're right at the front of the house. And they make this, like, really big deal about the dart guns. Where they're like, do you have your dart gun? Yes. Okay. <laughs> These are the darts. They have sedative in them that will put the dog to sleep right away. It's super powerful, so be very careful with the darts. I'm like, okay, there's going to be some goofy things happen with the darts. They shoot each other with these darts so much, and nobody even like nods off a little bit. I'm like, like you no made such a big deal about how much sedative was in these darts. And then the one guy gets shot right in the leg. And then he's fine for the rest of the caper. He just pulls it out. And he's yeah, out. he pulls it out. He's like, why didn't you shoot me? Okay, let's go running down the stairs. And it's another 10 minutes of them in the house. And he oh never God. acts as if he ever got shot again. And I'm pretty confident each one of the... Like, bad guys get shot by at least one dart in that sequence, and nothing ever happens. Also, when they're in the foyer, there's this weird thing where the two guys have on, um, like, camo makeup and stuff. Yeah. And then they make a big deal about the girl not having camo makeup on. Why? Like, why wouldn't that be covered before this moment? And also, they had the, like, makeup on them where they were like here put some on so you're not rec- like you're already in the house also they're in camo makeup and they're in the house yeah sure whatever well it was like black stuff that they smudged they had to their blend face. in with the yeah. the, the shadows grass carpet which everything was also pretty well lit for <laughs> they should have dressed like lady gaga at that one ama's premiere <laughs> <laughs> should have lucky would have come running 
Um, so that was the one thing. And then after they fail at their attempt, because they get, like, run out of the house, I think they get, like, chased out of, like, a second-story window, because I remember one of them, like, falling into the fountain or something like that, which I don't know how is possible, because they very clearly established that the fountain is, like, 30 feet away from the house, because the driveway, they have, like, the really big driveway that goes around yeah. in a circle around the fountain. <sighs> Regardless. So they get beat up, they get embarrassed, and so after they get embarrassed, they go back to the lawyer. Because originally they didn't want to use his services because he was asking for, what, 30% of the $64 million? Oh, yeah, I which completely like, forgot about Dude the is just yeah. planning to retire after this, yes. so I don't blame him for that. And they go back to the lawyer and they're like, fine, like we couldn't make this happen on our own, we need you to take him to court. And so he's like, okay, great, now my price is 50%. And they were like, what? And I was like, dude knows how to haggle. So they end up, the whole movie ends with this whole court scene. And obviously throughout the whole first part of the court sequence, um, the bad guys are winning. Like it is very easy to prove that Jack is, there is something wrong with Jack. Like everybody has a story to tell. They also try and create a little bit of drama where the girl lawyer is like, yeah, I will fight for you, but you have to tell me everything. And Jack's like, no, I'm a perfectly normal guy. There's nothing that you should worry about. When there has already been evidence in her presence that he has this weird thing going on with the dog. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so they, they try and craft drama that way. And then it looks like he's sunk and he's going to have to give up the fortune and he's going to have to give up Lucky too, which like, I don't understand. Like, they don't like the dog. I don't know why they're trying to take the dog back, especially if they have the inheritance. Regardless, it looks like he's sunk and then he wins the day because they are able to prove that like Lucky takes over his brain. Like they make Lucky mad enough that Jack ends up acting like Lucky and getting mad at the one dude. In court? In court, yeah. Yeah, I was dead asleep. Because that's, they do it by, I forget how, but all of a sudden Lucky remembers like seeing the guy pour the poison into the old guy's oh. cup. Lucky remembers that happened and then Jack is like, yeah, he poisoned him. And then Lucky gets really mad and then Lucky takes over Jack and so Lucky talks through Jack and everybody believes it. Um, they actually do do a good job of like, proving that it's lucky because they have them face in opposite directions and have the one guy hold up like certain objects or whatever so that's not the problem the problem is is that after lucky like definitively testifies to the fact that like what is happening is real and is not a mental deficiency while also incriminating this other person for murdering the old guy the leader of the three bad guys stands up and pulls out a gun. Like, pulls in out court. A, in court. It's like, there are so many things that I have questions about. One, how did he get into a courtroom with a gun? Especially if he's a defendant. Well, this was pre-9-11. So. Yeah, but still. <laughs> how did he get into court? Second, why did he bring the gun in the first place when he knew he had an ironclad defense at that point in time? I'm, does has this character been carrying a gun on him the entire movie? I would not put it past the character, would you? Uh, now that I think about it, no, probably not. please. But he just whips out a gun, and then 
I was about to get so mad at this movie because he whips out the gun and he tries to shoot. I wasn't really paying super close attention. I was reeling and writing in my notes. How did he get a gun in the court? And I had just imagined my surprise just having woken up. up. And I was like, oh, his his gun? There's a gun. gun? Lucky? (laughs) But he like whips the gun around. I don't know who he tries to shoot. But he shoots, I, I think he shoots at Jack. Yeah, I think then, it's at Jack. And then they have this, like, moment where it's like, oh, no, like, Lucky took the bullet, where they apprehend the guy, and then Lucky's, like, lying on the ground as if he's just been shot. And I was like, are they seriously ending this movie with a dead dog? I would have lost my mind. And then the lawyer, the lawyer lady comes over, and she's like, oh, no, it just grazed his ear. And then he like sits up. Yeah, I'm like, he's like, yeah. No dog in that excitement, no matter how well trained they are, is lying down like that no. at any point in time it for was... dramatic effect. Unless he's an amazing dog actor. Maybe. Which, guess what? He is. The dog was a standout performance in this movie. The dog was really good. The dog was great. He was such a believable dog. It was also very cute. It was so cute. He was such a good dog. Um. So yeah, that was. I think that was the end of the movie. Would you rather? What have, a stupid ending. <laughs> would you rather have had Lucky talk? Do you think that would have made the movie better? No. No, I like the way that they did it. I think we could have gotten rid of Kirk Cameron acting like a dog, <laughs> and had a much better movie. But then how but no, would you have gotten Lucky Lucky's thoughts across if you're not having the dog talk and you're also not having Kirk Cameron be possessed by the spirit of Lucky? You I, you just have to find another way for Kirk to, uh, for Jack to prove to people that like what Lucky is saying is true. Oh, so it's more he's an interpreter. Instead yeah, of more of an interpreter rather than like actually being Lucky. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, there could have easily been another conflict of like, you just have to prove that he's mentally ill. Like, you could have easily done that with him just talking to the dog. Yes. As well. You didn't have to go full bore into him acting like the dog. I think that was just like, this will be really funny. It'll be... you. The movie would have been the same without it, honestly. It was a wild choice. It was a wild choice. We will talk about choices. In a we'll moment. talk about choices in a minute. That's all I've got on You Lucky Dog. Should we do Where It was a movie. Now? Yeah, Where Are They Now? Okay. So, for Where Are They Now, I think oh, we have to do the obvious. We have to do Kirk Cameron. Oh, I was going to say Lucky was the <laughs> obvious one. Oh, well, Lucky, I, I don't want to talk about where Lucky is. Oh, I'm There's sorry. no way. There's no chance. Yeah. 23 years ago. Um, more than that. So, Kirk Cameron. Um, we all know him from multiple sitcoms. sitcoms. What, Growing Pains. Uh, that was his big one. That was the big one I know him from. Yep. And he met his wife, Chelsea Noble, on Growing Pains. They got married uh, and then both starred in this movie. She was, was the that, lawyer. That was his she wife. She was the lawyer. They do not look that like they are wife. the same age. They, they are. They're mostly the same age. Um, so yes, Chelsea Noble plays the lawyer. So where are they now is that Kirk Cameron and Chelsea Noble are married. Also, she wasn't a spectacular actress. I don't no, she think. was just hot. Yeah, she was really attractive. Yeah. But she wasn't a super great actress i think the only reason kirk cameron probably agreed to do the movie is if they let her play that part i feel the same way and i think they did have kids at the time so my bet is that it was the daughter was their kid um i don't know actually but my bet might 
bet because she was such a weird character that was like in and out of the movie so much, I was like, this probably was a family deal situation. Mm -hmm. They were like, if we're going to get Kirk Cameron, then we also got to get Chelsea Noble so that their family can relocate for the shooting of this film and all the things. Um, But as many people may at least have alluded to, Kirk Cameron is now uh, just kind of a evangelical, radical, (laughs) conservative. I did find a recent uh, post on Instagram where he was rallying people to go do a prayer service at a library? I don't, I'm just going to play Probably it. for like the book bands or something like that. Oh, he starts it with Brave Americans. So. Brave Americans. Are you ready to help me stop the indoctrination of our children? Oh yeah, it's definitely about the book bands. By sure. restoring her to the faith and values that once made America so healthy, strong, and free? I have a plan. Do you remember that movement called See You at the Poll? Where families gather at the local school flagpole to pray? Well, I am taking this to a new level. I'm calling on all families who love God and love America to gather at our local public libraries to pray, sing, and read a children's book of virtue. Imagine thousands of local libraries filled by you and your friends, your pastors, your teachers, local representatives, turning our nation back to God and moral goodness. I think he's going to start a cult. He probably wants to. I think this might be the beginning. He also has some sort of like talk show, conservative talk show, on some network that I don't know called TBN. I don't know. If we had to guess. The Bible Network. Maybe. Something I don't like know. That. Probably one of those, like, probably another thing like OAN that's, like, super conservative and just spouts out a bunch of weird conspiracy theories. So, anyway, Kirk is probably, I mean, currently he's gather, trying to gather the nation's Christians at public libraries. That is where he is today. Just unproblematic enough to not make national news? Yes. Yes. Um, Fair enough. His sister, however, has made some negative news yeah we don't need to talk about that but i do love full house uh, we'll talk about that another time. That, not within the scope of this project oh, come on it's so good um, so where do you think jack the exact same place <laughs> are you kidding me that guy with 64 million dollars exact same place he's still just Gnawing on bones with his bro. No, no, no. <laughs> exact same place as Kirk Cameron. No. <laughs> Uber conservative. Oh. Trying to rally a bunch of people <laughs> against some straw man boogeyman. Oh. Just so that he can keep all his money. Is it a dog army? Or is he still rallying conservative white man army? Oh, it's probably just conservative white men, but he's using the dog angle <laughs> somehow. Oh my gosh. It's either that or he's a furry. Okay, so let's hear it for the choice. Um, <laughs> give me a choice for each movie. A choice for each movie. Um, I think we've talked about them both already. First choice for Quince, definitely the throwing the juice in the face. Yeah, it was It was. <laughs> that a had to have been a choice. That couldn't have been an accident. And even if the actress didn't make that choice, the editor did. They chose that take. I have a feeling that it was a one and done. Yeah. That they were like, we're like, not we going to take get this the time. This quick. is the end yeah. of the day. We're not going to take time to clean her up and do it twice. So you know what, Kimberly, just do it however you want to and we're going to make it work. Yeah. 
So that was the choice for the first one. And then the second one, obviously, having Kirk Cameron just go full dog. Like, I don't think he should have gone full dog, just talk to the dog. That was a weird choice that affected everything in the movie. I don't think it needed to happen. It was just such a weird choice. It was wild. Yeah. Okay, Luke, here we are at the end of round one, match five. Did I get that right? Yes. Round one, match five. I believe so. Sure. What is your rating for... Is this a dramatic pause or did you forget what the first movie was? (laughs) No, it was definitely a dramatic pause. Quince. Um, Man, I want to give Quince uh, five out of five babies. Wow. I want to... But I can't. So who you put in the hospital? <laughs> Adam. Sorry, Adam's in the hospital. He gets four out of five babies. You're right, Adam's in the hospital. It's four out of five babies. Okay. And what would you like to give You Lucky Dog? You Lucky Dog is a dry bone with no meat on it that was totally (laughs) forgotten about out in the sun somewhere that's not even fun to dig up. Wow. The gun was the only entertaining part of that movie. I thought it was going to be, I thought your rating was going to be one smoking dart gun. (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't even a smoking dart gun. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, so winner of this round, Quince. handily, by Quince. many, many Definitely babies, Quince. was Quince. Yeah. So Quince we'll be was seeing... the much better movie. Ooh. Much much more entertaining movie, I'll clarify and say that. A darling, a decom yeah. darling, making it to round two. Decom darling. Unsurprising. And uh, next episode, we get Smart House, which apparently is a Oh, I'm so excited. Well. And we will likely be having our first guest appearance next episode as well. Yeah, so get excited. Um, Thank you to our loyal listeners. We need to give a shout out this week to Ben Kramer, who was really excited for... Probably our most hardcore fan (laughs) at this point in time. And then a big shout out also to Katie Ruvalcava for... For her shout out. For her shout out to her loyal audience as well. Great. All right. That's it. That's it. Is that how we just sign off now? <laughs> That's it. Um, should we have Noodle share his thoughts? He had his chance. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm Luke. And I'm Jill. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Decombat. Oh, you barked. That's so good. <laughs>jingles for these segments i think we need to find some jingles you have to edit these tonight what are you gonna do should i just sing it i could just do it now and you could just, just sing a little this. jingle let's hear it for the choice <laughs> <laughs> oh and then what should we do for uh what's our other one? Oh, oh, uh, where are they now where are they now where are they now oh that was good thank you <laughs>